Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. We're now in our series called Journey of the Redeemed. It's a study in the book of Luke, and as we explore the life of Jesus, we also examine our own journeys shaped by him. We've been on a journey. It's been a long journey now. Since September, we've been walking step by step in the life of Jesus. We have stood still at his birth. We have peeked in at his childhood. And then we've spent the last weeks and months just looking at three years, three short years of his life. But in those three years, Jesus was living out his calling. He was teaching the people, teaching about God's love, opening the scriptures in ways that people hadn't heard before. He was bending down and touching the sick, those who were demon-possessed. He was healing them. He was taking a group of followers and just helping them mature deeper and deeper into God's love. Trying to help them be the leaders in God's kingdom. He knew they could be. And Jesus was speaking some hard words. He was looking at his own people. The people of God. And saying, you're supposed to be the light of the world. I need you to. I need you to work on that. But now, everything's come to this. Last week. We read that Jesus came in in a parade, and then he sat at a table, and he looked around at his friends and said, this is the last dinner we've got, guys. This is it. It's Passover. It's a celebration. But he's like, this has new meaning now, because I'm not going to be with you much longer. And then they went to the garden to pray, and Jesus was arrested. Betrayed by one of their very own, Judas. And that's, that's where we ended last week. And now we sit today. And we're going to read through the trial and the death of Jesus. And while we do know, we do know next week's coming. Today, I want us to sit. I want us to sit in the grief. I want us to sit and look at what the cross meant for us. So we're going to begin reading in Luke 22, verse 54. And we're going to see how Peter, one of those close followers, reacts to Jesus' arrest. Then seizing Jesus, they led him away, took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, Peter said. A little later, someone else saw Peter and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with them. He is a Galilean. 
Peter replied, I do not know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Peter, one of those 12 who were just so close to Jesus, being fed into, being prepared. And he just thought his whole purpose was to defend Jesus in life. We saw it like just hours before this moment. He had grabbed a sword and cut off the ear of someone trying to arrest Jesus. Like Peter is the one. He will jump up and be like, I've got you. I will die for you. And he meant it. But now, hours later, they've spent time praying. They've heard all these words that Jesus was warning them. And he's just tired. And it's late. And he just watched this person who mentored him, who was his leader, just get taken off and, and lied about and arrested. You know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he was confused and, and, and just, just scared. Maybe he would be arrested next. So the same guy that wanted to jump up and say, yes, I've got you, Jesus, was like, I don't know him. And at that moment, since his whole identity had been built on defending Jesus, I can just imagine how defeated he felt. Like that, that was his whole purpose. And the moment he had to stand up for Jesus, he fell flat. But Jesus, he knew not all was lost. In fact, he really didn't need Peter to defend him in the moment of his execution. He knew what he needed to do, Jesus did. He actually needs Peter to defend him later. When, when Jesus is back in heaven and there's people on earth talking about his life, that's when Jesus needs Peter to defend his life, to explain his death, and to believe in the resurrection. To start the church. That is what Jesus needs of Peter. And so he told him, even though it probably hurt so bad in the moment, both Jesus and Peter, he had just told him, I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus already knew Peter was going to fail, but he was going to learn from it. He was going to grow from that moment. And he knew not, not all was lost. So the next section, we're going to be looking at the actual trial of Jesus. And it gets a little, gets a little interesting here. And we're going to hear a lot of different names. So I've got a chart here that it's based on a chart we've talked about way back at the beginning of Luke. And I want us to remember just how chaotic things were at the time. So on our chart, we've got all kinds of leaders trying to have authority, have the people look to them for wisdom. And so at the top, we have Caesar and he's, he's at the top because he's the Roman Caesar and he tells everybody he's at the top. 
he would kill you if you said otherwise. But everybody else underneath is kind of, I didn't have, I didn't have a wide enough screen, but they're all kind of on equal level here because while you have Pilate, we're going to hear his name as a governor and Herod is a tetrarch. And so Pilate is Roman, but Herod is Jewish and he is serving Rome right now because they're like, you can have authority here, but you still have to serve us. And then We've got all the religious leaders. Look at all of these words. There's the high priest, then you got chief priest, council. That's the Sanhedrin. We can see them listed as elders and teachers, Pharisees and Sadducees. They all kind of had a different, slightly different role, and they had slightly different beliefs in God, interpretation of Scripture, and yet all of them wanted the people saw them as spiritual leaders, which for the Jewish people was just as important as the governmental leaders. So really, this is all kind of like a flat chart here, flat line. But everybody has something that they want, and everybody has something that they're trying to influence. And so they're going to use Jesus as a power grab. They're going to be like, hey, we're the ones that brought him to you. And they're going to be like, well, you're the ones that be famous for putting him to death or putting him on trial. Like, everybody's using Jesus in this moment. So I want us to think of that kind of feel. And I'm sure we can imagine because we see it happen today, right? Big events happen and people try to show their political beliefs about it, right? Or their authority in the situation. We see people use, you know, different clips on the media in order to show that they have knowledge or authority or something we should respect in any event. And so here is an event and they're all trying to pull Jesus for their fame. Keep that mindset as we keep reading verse 63. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking him and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, these are our religious Jewish people, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, they all met together and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the son of man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. Well, and they asked, well, then are you the son of God? And he replied, you say that I am. Then they said, why do we need more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. And then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. So now we're at the Roman authority because Pilate's the one who can grant the death penalty. And that's what they're trying to do. They were trying to come up with something to accuse Jesus of that will be big enough of a crime to be put to death. And they, the Jewish leaders, began to accuse Jesus, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar. He claims to be the Messiah, a king. Notice these are half lies, taking part of what Jesus said and then twisting it. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. He never claimed it because that could be used against him. He just allows the words and the testimony of the truth to come out of other people's lips. Then Pilate announced, 
to the chief priests in the crowd. So the Roman saying to all the Jewish people gathered there, I find no basis for a charge against this man. So he's like, I'm not putting him to death because I don't think he's done anything. And they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. And that was true. We know we keep talking about that Jesus was laser focused on traveling from his region into Jerusalem. So they took that truth and then twisted it again, like that he was trying to suddenly take over. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was from Galilee, that's under Herod's jurisdiction. The guy that we just saw up there on the chart, Herod Antipas. And he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. So basically, Pilate's at this point like, decide among yourselves. This is a, a, a Jewish matter. You guys talk about it. Okay, so Herod, he's kind of like the puppet leader for Rome. He wants to be king. He wants to have this power, but he's never really had a lot. He's not had a lot of respect. He is the one who put John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, to death. And he kept hearing people talk about Jesus. And we kept reading about him throughout Luke. We'd have these little snippets, right? These little in-between stories where it would just be like, Herod was wondering about Jesus. Herod really wanted to see this man. Herod wondered, was this John the Baptist raised from the dead? Who's calling him king? Like, he's always just wondering about Jesus. And finally, they've never met until this moment face to face. Let's see what happens. Luke 23 Verse 8, when Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort, right? Like he'd heard Jesus did miracles. He was like, do a trick for me, right? He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priest, the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. And then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed, mocked Jesus. They dressed him in an elegant robe, sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Herod wants tricks. Pilate wants proof that this guy is guilty. Jesus doesn't say a lot to either one of them. We see him talking to the to the Jewish accusers, the religious leaders, but doesn't say a lot to Pilate and Herod. Remember last week we talked about the different responses that we can have, that Jesus had to accusation, to lies? And one of the options was just to say nothing. That's what Jesus does here. Because they're trying to frame him, as we said. They're trying to malign his character Because they want him to go to the cross, and yet Jesus knows. He knows he's going to go to the cross for a different purpose. So he allows the lies to just happen. Because the end result was his goal anyway. Death. But, But you kept watching, right? Every time they spoke the truth, Jesus is like, you said it. He ignored the lies, and he showed them when they actually spoke the truth. Now, did you notice that last sentence? I don't know that I have ever really keyed in on this sentence, that Herod and Pilate became friends. And I, 
I didn't really think a lot about that, but I read a quote by N.T. Wright this week, and it just was so, I don't know, it just really caught me, inspired me. I'm going to read it to you. There is this wonderful irony, he says, to the newfound friendship of the Jewish king and the Gentile ruler. Luke's whole book has spoken of the gospel reaching out into the lands beyond, beyond official Judaism, beyond the racial and geographical boundaries of Israel, beyond prejudice and blindness, bringing together Jew and Gentile, young and old, the hated Samaritan, the tax collector. Now, even without believing in Jesus, Herod and Pilate are reconciled. It is as though with Jesus on the way to the cross, reconciliation cannot help but breaking out all over the place. Remember when Jesus like went by people and they just touched him and they were healed? It's like Jesus is just bringing peace, even to people that maybe didn't deserve it, right? People didn't believe that that's what his job was. He's just bringing peace, reconciliation. Let's keep reading. So now Jesus is back to Pilate. We had a parade last week that was a beautiful honor, and now he's being paraded between authorities. So he's back to Pilate. Pilate's the one that has the final say. Fate is sealed. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people. So we've got the, the Roman calling together all the Jewish people. And he said, you brought me this man as one who is inciting people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence. I found no basis for the charges. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. And as you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. And what we note in another book of the Bible is that because it was Passover, it was tradition to release as like a holiday favor is to release one of the prisoners. And so Pilate was like, one of these guys, I can just let him go. It's just Jesus, right? And so Pilate appealed again to them. He wanted to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, why, what crime has this man committed? I have found no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and released. But with loud shouts, they, this is a Jewish crowd, demanded that he be crucified. Their shouts prevailed, and Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for murder, Barabbas, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Pilate's choices, like he's still trying to be, he wants to be seen. Like he's already, we have read in a previous chapter of Luke that he has already murdered Galileans. So he has no problem apparently shedding blood when push comes to shove. But he seems like he's trying to do it to appeal to the people, right? Like he just wants to be seen as powerful, as in control. And so that's what they want. That's what they do. The crowd's choices. Barabbas' guilt. Even with all these humans sinning, look, though, God's will happens. He just happens to take what's done, even with selfishness, and he can form it into his glory, into his purposes. They thought that they had won, somehow had 
something over on Jesus. They didn't know that his goal this whole time was for our redemption. So now we get to the actual cross. The soldiers, they were leading him away, and they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. Now here, we see, you know, that there's the two beams of the cross, and the one pole would be standing there in its place, and then you were supposed to carry that cross beam. And you remember how Jesus kept saying the words, take up your cross and follow me. And literally, that's what he had to do. But for some reason, and we can imagine the details that Luke hasn't told us, if he can't carry that, something's gone on. The beatings that they've already done to Jesus. He was unable to carry it himself. And here's this guy. It says Cyrene is like northern Africa. And it says he just come to town. Like this is a Passover. So the Jewish people from all over would come to worship at the temple in Jerusalem. He had just arrived. And he was suddenly thrust in the middle of this. But there he's doing. He's living out what Jesus kept saying to all the disciples. Have you noticed we haven't seen the rest of the guys? Besides Peter, who we saw how he reacted, none of those others are there. Yet Simon, this, this stranger, is up close with Jesus. He's carrying, he's living out what Jesus had just been telling all his disciples. I don't know where the others were. They scattered, but did they still listen for news? Did they kind of disguise themselves and hide among the crowd just to see what was happening? I mean, even if they were scared, they were probably so curious what was going on. We don't know. We don't know where they were. But some people were still following Jesus. Verse 27 says, a large number of people followed him. Probably the spectacle. Some were probably believing and some weren't. Including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore, the breasts that never nursed. They will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? This is Jesus' last prediction of Jerusalem's fall. We keep saying that Jesus was trying to warn his people that hard times were coming. He wanted people to live in his peace. Verse 32, two other men, both criminals, were also led out to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified Jesus there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they're doing. They divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and even the rulers sneered at him. They said he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was written a notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. They were supposed to put the crime listed above the criminal. 
One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? Since you're under the same sentence, we're punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. I've always read Jesus's words about forgiving those who were doing all this to them. And it just seemed kind of like, yeah, that's, that's Jesus. It seemed pretty natural to me. But in my studies, one of these commentary authors, professors was saying, like, this was stunning. Like, no one expected this. No one forgave, especially forgiving the Roman rulers who were oppressing the people at this time. Like, Jesus lived what he preached, but when the people first read this written down and Luke had written and sent it out as letters and people read it, they're like, really? That's, that's what he told us to do, but really? At this moment, in this extreme time, this forgiveness was stunning. And in each one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all describe Jesus' death. And they give us some different perspectives. Like if, you're, if we're all telling the same account, if something had, an event happened, and we each described it, the same event, we might use some different words or emphasize what struck us, you know? Like I might, I might say something that I saw and you might have interpreted just a little differently because it's what struck you in the moment. And Luke, whew, he's showing forgiveness at every step. Like Jesus pre-forgave Peter. He already said you were going to turn back. Jesus stepped in for Barabbas. Jesus forgave the person on the cross next to him. Luke wants us to look at this cross and say, that was the point. This forgiveness was the point. And it was for us as well. That this act, this sacrifice, this redemption, which means it's like paying the price. Like we owed and he paid. And it was for us to have a relationship with the holy God. Verse 44, it was about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness saw what took place, they beat their breasts in mourning and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance, watching. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and then he took it down. He wrapped it in linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, 
one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph. They saw the tomb. They saw how his body was laid in it. And then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Note that Joseph was a member of that religious rulers from our chart, right? He was one of those Jewish religious rulers. And yet it said that he did not agree with why they were trying to trap and arrest Jesus. He seems like he actually believed what Jesus said. And the women, they've been following Jesus all the way from Galilee. We've read about them. Probably the same ones that have been funding his ministry with their resources, who've been providing. Now they want to take care of him also in his death, just as they did in life. But because it was Sabbath, they had to wait. So now we're going to wait as well. We're going to stop here. We're going to sit in the grief just a little bit. Alongside Jesus' followers who don't yet know what we know. Spoiler alert. We know what happens on Easter. In just a couple days from now. But in the moment, let's reflect on his death. Let's play this out like a funeral. Jesus didn't have one. But what if all the people we just read about, what if in that moment on Friday night they gathered for an impromptu funeral and all the perspectives that they would have brought with them as they approached Jesus' death? Which one do you resonate with? Where would you be at the funeral? Maybe, maybe you're Peter. Guilty, but immediately repentant. Broken a friend's heart. Broken God's heart. But you're ready to grow and learn from it. Maybe you're Barabbas. Looking at Jesus, you see in the one who took what you deserved. Maybe Simon, the Cyrene. Initially, you just dragged into this whole world of faith. Maybe it wasn't your choice forced upon you, but now you've, you've been a part of this story in some unexpected way. Maybe you're like the crowd and you just, there's been times when you just got caught up and everything that sounded all right, everything sounded true and their interpretation of things, and then you just see Jesus and realize, no. No. He was something different than what everybody's trying to interpret for you. Maybe you're Joseph. You've got responsibility. You've got some privilege. But it doesn't mean that you're taking that to your own ego. You're, you're submitting to Jesus. You're seeing that he has authority and it's okay to trust in him. You want to honor him even in the darkest hour. Or maybe you resonate with the women who wept. Because you're mourning for yourself and your own pain. You're mourning for the community and the world because it's broken. And they've got it wrong. And they've chosen poorly. But you're still trying to serve even in your grief. I hope... One of those perspectives might connect with you today. 
But I keep going back. It's hard to sit in just grief because we still have hope. I keep going back to Jesus' words to Peter on Passover where he's like, I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you turn back, it's just like every time Jesus is like, this is going to happen. But when you come back, and he said that to Peter, he looked at, at the criminal next to him who spent his life choosing poorly, but he turned back. He turned to Jesus on the cross. The, the Roman centurion who was there to make sure he died, he knew that when he was exposed to Jesus, he would turn, turn back to faith. He knows all of us in this room. He knows what we did yesterday, what we're going to do tomorrow. And he knows the selfish stuff that we are getting ready to do. But he wants us to grow from it, learn from it. He's already saying, when you turn back, help other people. Because they're going to fail too. And we don't always know how to deal with our own failure. So here's the thing. We got to admit it. Because we know how much it hurts when other people hurt us and they don't say sorry when they don't admit it. So we just have to own up and be like, we just need to confess. That we mess up. That we break people's hearts. That we sin and fall short. But then after that confession and that repentance, we keep on living. Because we can say, yes, our sin was part of the reason that Jesus went to the cross. But Jesus went to the cross to redeem us from that sin. Both and. We were the reason he went and we're the reason that we get to also receive the gift. So how do we live as the redeemed people of Jesus? We confess and we grieve, but then we release that and we head to healing. Sometimes people, you know, they, it's so hard because we want to like, we want to focus on the gravity of our sin but we don't want to stay there. Because when we accept Jesus' forgiveness, that forgiveness that he gave us on the cross, when we go and we hold on to that and we go into the world with it, we're an image of his grace. We get to go help fix what's broken. So today, today we've, we've, we've set up a funeral. Funerals are for the living, it's for those of us who remain to reflect and to respond when someone we care about passes away. At a funeral, we would consider what a person contributed. We reflect on our relationship with them, and we honor them. Every week, we've got a funeral for Jesus. We consider what he gave us. He contributed to the world. He was the Savior and the Servant King. 
we, we grab juice and we eat bread and we reflect on our relationship with him. Where do we stand right now? What do we truly believe about Jesus? And just like a funeral, we honor him. We honor him. So I want, I want us to consider and reflect and honor. And we have communion every week, but just take some, take some extra reflection time when you come and you grab a piece of bread. When you take the juice, remember the forgiveness, remember the redemption. Approach it like an honoring funeral. You know, the, when Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, his last words on the cross there, he was saying, I trust you to the creator. So I want to read Psalm 31. He was quoting Psalm 31. And I just want to read the surrounding verses as our prayer for communion today. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and you are my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. Jesus, thank you for going. We confess that we were a piece of that, the reason why you went to the cross. We also receive from you the redemption that you went there for. Help us to show your grace this week. We honor you now. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.